Welcome to Sierra Week Conversations, a new video and podcast series bringing you insights with impact into energy, economics, and a changing world in the COVID-19 era. I'm your host, Dan Jurgen. This episode is moderated by my colleague, Carles Pasqual, Senior Vice President of Global Energy at IHS Market. Enjoy the conversation. Today, we have an opportunity to have a conversation with someone who is really at the epicenter of all of these issues, Minister of Natural Resources of Canada. Minister Regan, a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you for joining us. Carlos, good to join you. So today, Minister Regan and I would like to take you through a conversation that covers a set of issues that, first of all, look at opportunities and challenges related to the hydrocarbon sectors. We'll pivot to focus on the questions of energy transition and sustainability, and then try to bring together the schizophrenia or not of bringing those two worlds together. And and I'll start, Minister O'Regan, with one of the toughest questions. Is the combination of the pandemic and energy transition a threat to the future of the hydrocarbons industry in Canada? The short answer is no. Uh, Although I would say that the industry is going to be going through a tremendously uh, difficult time. I mean, there are serious challenges right now. Um, We're taking action to provide the industry with the supports that it needs, uh, you know, ensuring that Canadians uh, are, are working in our energy sector, that they, that they stay employed, um, you know, we know we're going to come out on the other side of this. Uh, we have to make sure that we don't lose a lot of good people. I have been very focused, Carlos, on workers. And what I have found is that where we concentrate on workers in the energy sector, and, and they are primarily in, um, in Alberta and Saskatchewan, a lot in Alberta, but also in my own province here of Newfoundland and Labrador on the, on the east coast of Canada for our offshore oil sector. Uh, where we focus on, on them, we get tremendous political buy-in from across the political spectrum. Right from Jason Kenney, who's from the United Conservative Party, the governing party in the province of Alberta, over to Elizabeth May, who is the leader of the Green Party in Canada. Both very well-known figures on either side of the spectrum on these issues, but they do come together uh, when it comes to workers. So we have been we've been concentrating on them. And in this particular case, with Alberta, Saskatchewan and British Columbia, three of our western provinces, we're focusing on work that they can do to clean up orphan and inactive wells. This is work that needs to be done. It, it can be very technical work. It, 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 it requires people with experience and skill, and it allows that workforce to remain engaged. We've gotten tremendous uh, uh, take up on this. And, and politically, uh, you know, all sides agree that this is stuff that, you know, this is what needs to be done. So, you know, we, we, we're taking that lesson and we're applying it to other areas in the energy sector as well as we make our way through uh, the COVID pandemic. Maybe you can, if you can play that out on a personal level a little bit more. And I was struck that at the age of 10, you, you began a local television program talking about uh, the, the kinds of challenges people in your community felt and knew from you. And now yeah. that you're looking at this from a different perspective with your constituencies in Alberta, what, what are the kind of issues that workers are, are facing and how are they bringing them to the attention, both of the companies that they work for and the government? Perhaps I'll say that, you know, there are a few things that did affect me as a child and, and directly relate to the energy industry and to natural resources. Um, I grew up uh, here on this island of Newfoundland and then as a as a boy moved to Labrador and that's in the north. And 
you know, I, I, I saw um, First Nations for the first time, indigenous people um, and and how they lived. And that has a, you know, a, when you see that gap between indigenous and non-indigenous people in the same area and, and their standard of living, it has a deep effect on you. I uh, worked in the provincial government for five years in my 20s uh, at negotiating tables and, and did my undergraduate, my graduate degrees on on things that we could do to, firstly, how, how indigenous people mobilize against development that they don't want. Um, and, and then I was looking for solutions in my master's to, to, you know, how indigenous, how First Nations could participate in natural resource development, um, in order to achieve their aims and their goals. So to be here in this position now as Minister of Natural Resources and in this country that um, we deal, you know, so much with, with First Nations, Inuit and Métis peoples and, uh, continue to strive to find accommodations with them, not only to make sure that we do the right thing by them first and foremost, but also that we achieve the stability for development, that we achieve stability for the industry that we need. And I think, you know, we've made great inroads there. We still have a long ways to go, but we've, we've made great inroads. As, um, you know, workers very much want the same thing. Um, and in my previous life as policy advisor to the premier here back in my 20s, uh, we set up the first generic royalty regime offshore for Canada. And, the, you know, th this is the first time as opposed to a kind of a project by project basis. We, we did a generic regime for the first time because because industry required and needed that stability, uh, that certainty. And those are things that I've carried through in, this, in, in my job now, now that I find myself in this position as Minister of Natural Resources. Industry requires stability, requires certainty. That's what investment requires, and especially now, I think, in very tumultuous times. And let's pick up on that, on what role the government can play in supporting industry at a time like this, where there's so much pressure on cash flow and the viability and sustainability of the industry. Well, at the very, you know, first weeks of the lockdown, first days, to be honest, you know, and we and we saw prices crash as they did. And nobody had prepared for uh, a pandemic uh, in, in our industry. Uh, nobody had prepared for at the same time a price war happening uh, instigated by Russia and, and Saudi Arabia. And, you know, I, I remember when, you know, we saw the the, uh, the Western Canadian standard price um uh, go to negative $34.99. You know, I've got a, uh, a world price, world oil price index automatic app that, that show, you know, comes up on my phone. I thought it was a mistake, that negative. Right. Um, and I think a lot of people remember that. So, uh, you know, what do you do? Well, right out from the starting gate industry said that they required liquidity, liquidity, liquidity. I mean, if their top five asks, four of them would be liquidity. And so, you know, we, we worked very quickly to, to put that in place. Um, you know, we still, I think there's still tweaking to be done to make sure that we're as responsive to, to industry as we need to be. And of course, there's always a great hesitation about in, incurring, you know, vast amounts of debt. Any company would have that. But, uh, it, it for, it, for the most part, it has met needs. Even, even I said equally as, as important actually is a wage subsidy that we put in place to make sure that we were supporting companies who could then hold on to their employees. And um, and that has a we've gotten a huge uptick on that uh, in, in Alberta and in Newfoundland and Labrador again, my province here um, and, and not coincidentally oil producing provinces, oil producing jurisdictions. This is this is something that has been very helpful to the industry.
So pipelines, um, always a controversial issue in the United States and Canada, Trans Mountain, KXL, Line 3. How important are they in your energy strategy in, in the current period and for the future? They're extremely important. It gets our product to market. Um, we have a good product. In, in my own, in Canada, I, you know, especially when I'm talking about the, uh, the importance of transition and, and how, you know, the challenges to, to a lower emitting economy, you know, I, I remind people, my fellow Canadians, that we are the fourth biggest producer of oil in the world. And that is not something that we think of. I mean, it's, uh, it, for, for Canadians, um, you know, it's not our strategic imperative as opposed to maybe you look at Kuwait or Qatar who are, you know, in our wake. We're fourth. We're the fourth biggest. When, when I do Zoom calls with the International Energy Agency and, uh, and the World Economic Forum, um, you know, I'm always in the first panel for Zoom. <laughs> you know, the, we've learned that there's a hierarchy on Zoom uh, and I'm always in the first panel. And, and it's because it, it's it's not because I, you know, I, I'm particularly uh, beguiling in what I have to say. It's, it's because I am the Minister of Natural Resources of the fourth biggest oil producer in the world. And similarly, I remind, you know, American audiences uh, that we are your biggest supplier of oil outside of the United States to the United States. It's Canada. I mean, many think it's, it's uh, Saudi Arabia. It's not. It's us. So this is, this is the safe way that we get our product to market, um, you know, in the case of Line 3 and, and Keystone XL. Um, and in the case of uh, in, in, within our own borders, in the case of, uh, of TMX, that pipeline heading out, out to the west, that's to open ourselves up, open our product to, to other markets as well, which is uh, strategically very important for us. So, you know, there is a there is a future for oil and even the most ambitious Paris Accord targets uh, you know, indicate that we will need oil for some time to come. Uh, the, the marketplace for that oil will get increasingly competitive, but it's very important that we be able to get our good product to market safely. And more often than not, especially out West, that market is you. So let's pick up on this issue of reconciling the future of oil and that requirement for oil and sustainability and climate change. Canada has made a pledge to net zero carbon emissions by 2050. How do you bring those together effectively in a cohesive energy strategy? It came together for me, Carlos, back in, I think it was near the end of January, early February. And uh, I I went to... uh, uh, Globe, which is the biggest clean tech conference in North America, it's in Vancouver, and uh, spoke to an audience there of you know some of the brightest minds on on clean tech, and I had a very frank conversation with them, you know, which I once again reminded them that we are the fourth biggest producer of oil in the world, but secondly that there was we would not achieve net zero uh, greenhouse gas emissions by 2050 without Alberta, without Saskatchewan without Newfoundland and Labrador, the three oil producing provinces. We would not get to net zero unless we dealt with the challenges and the opportunities that oil uh, oil and gas give us. Um, so there was no getting around it. And so it was, a, you know, that was frank. The next day, I, I was co-hosting an innovation summit in Calgary. So I flew from Vancouver over to Calgary with the Alberta energy minister, Sonia Savage. And, um, and at that time, um, you know, remembering that this is pre- Pre-COVID, uh, the marketplace was was changing. Mark Kearney, who I know you know, um, you know things that he had been saying for quite some time were now coming to fruition. Investors were looking for jurisdictions that take that take climate change seriously. 
And you were seeing, uh, you know, some investor flight from, uh, from the Canadian energy sector, particularly Alberta's oil and gas sector. And so, you know, I told them in frankness that uh, the future prosperity of Canadian oil and gas uh, relied on net zero. That increasingly that what we were seeing was, you know, Canadian oil and gas, wrongly so, I think, uh, was becoming the box to check. So that if a you know a portfolio manager was looking out at his at his analysts or his juniors and saying, "What are we doing about climate change?" They were saying, "Oh, box to check. We're 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 not investing in Canadian oil anymore. That's a problem, you know, uh, if we've become shorthand for action." So I said, "The challenge is to look on the other side of the ledger and and to see well, what's the box to check for a jurisdiction that says it's serious about about combating climate change. That is increasingly becoming a commitment to net zero." Um, so, you know, that's that's the direction that we're going in. Um, I said to the energy minister at the time, you know, this is not simply, although very importantly, it is an environmental um, measure. Uh, this is also a strategic imperative for future investment. This mm-hmm. is the way the market is going. Follow the money. You know, and I, I jokingly said because her, you know, her government is, uh, you know, more the small C conservative nature. And I just said, you know, there are people who there are free marketers in your party um, and, they, you know, they understand what it is to follow the direction of the marketplace, and, you know, the ruthless efficiency of the marketplace. This is the direction it's going in. So there, there is a place where these meet. Uh, that is that is happening now. Uh, it's indeed fascinating, the focus on investors and the importance of the marketplace. And play that out a little bit in the dialogue that you've had with provincial leaders and how you brought them into a discussion to bring together what the provinces, what their instinct may have been initially about the as hydrocarbon producers, the reality of the marketplace and investors, and how you achieve a common vision on how you move forward. Yeah, and that that is, you know, it's one thing to espouse the vision, and it is quite another thing, obviously, to enact it. And and you know, my my challenge to all parties in a very polarizing debate sometimes, you know, both in your country and in mine, um, you know, is is that we we need to come together on this. Um, so you know, this this transition to to lower emissions is happening. It needs to happen. Um, oil is still very much a part of our national economies. Um, and, and so we have to find a way to make this work. This is an imperative for our economies. Again, I come back to a focus on workers because when you focus on workers, you know, then it is a place where, you know, people can agree. Nobody wants, nobody wants to see workers, uh, energy sector workers where their families left behind. Um, but at the same time, we have, we have a a right to, to come to them with answers. We also have to be, I think, very, you know, as we look at as we look at transition, we have to be. You know, I, I think of three things we need to be. First of all, I think we've got to be very smart about what we do. So, you know, I'm talking about uh, you know good old fashioned ingenuity. I look at the ingenuity involved in our, our 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 oil and gas sector here in Canada. I mean, in in Alberta, in the oil sands, they literally have managed to find a way to extract oil from sand. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is. That is an incredible accomplishment. And over the past 20, 30 years has, has made Canada the fourth biggest producer in the world. Equally, I would argue on, on my side of the country, on the offshore, you know, I was speaking to the CEO of ExxonMobil Canada a few weeks ago and he reminded me for ExxonMobil, this is the harshest environment that they work in in the world, the North Atlantic off of Newfoundland. It is 
rough, rough waters. So we've got to take that, that ingenuity and that, and those smarts and we have to apply them to, you know, how, how we are going to lower the emissions of our oil and gas sector. I think the second part I would say is we have to be thorough in how we go about this transition. We have to look at all the efficiencies that we can realize, whether it be in homes, in buildings, and in light bulbs. And I made an announcement today on on electric vehicle stations. Um, so we have to be thorough in in all of those small things that do add up uh, and and can have a tremendous effect. And then I think we just have to be we have to be thoughtful about how we do this. We can't leave people behind. And I would you know make the argument that. In a democracy like ours and yours, um, you know, if, if people feel that they are left behind, then they will elect governments that don't make them feel left behind. Generally, parties that, you know, will maintain the status quo or take a step back. And uh, and that's, you know, that's not good. It's, it's not where our economies are going. It's not where the world is going. Um, so people need to feel included. You have to bring a critical mass of people along. You can't leave people behind or, or regions of our countries behind or, you know, on the international scale, whole countries behind. We've got to, we have to be in this together. Let's take a, a leap on this theme of being in it together and talk about together with your neighbor. Um, how have the discussions gone with the United States about the future of energy? And I'm sure you must have had some very intense conversations with your counterpart, Secretary Briette, in the context of the oil price collapse and how to move forward to a more secure energy future for North America. They were intense conversations, but let me hasten to say that they weren't, they weren't conflicting intensities. They were in an intensity that we shared looking at, at that negative price of oil. And, and we had been talking before then, and uh, I've quite enjoyed my conversations with Secretary Briette. He, first of all, uh, has a v- very keen and comprehensive understanding of how integrated our markets are, you know, how we're integrated our pipelines, our, our customer base, our supply chains. I mean, everything, you know, is, is very tied uh, north and south. And, and, you know, that's very important, as, as you said, as we recognize that we're, we're in this together. Um, and so through, I think, a period of great instability, uh, during those weeks in, you know, in April, most pointedly, um, it was good to be able to call him when I, when I did, and he could call me and we could make sure as we, you know, entered into, as he entered into meetings at, at OPEC plus, as we went into meetings, uh, in, you know, for the G20, both of those meetings were, uh, incredibly in, instructive and, um, and, and thoughtful and, 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 ensure that we got back, you know, particularly the OPEC plus meeting, that we got back to where we needed to be and that we got rid of some of the instability that existed in, in the global price market. It was very, you know, it was hugely important that we spoke to one another. I mean, as I said, I mean, we're the biggest supplier of oil to the U.S. The U.S. is our biggest customer. Um, you know, we need we need to make sure that uh, that we're together when we enter situations like that. And just out of curiosity, is that conversation extended into issues of sustainability and renewable energy as well? Yeah, our our departments talk and our officials speak all the time on that, and and not only on those uh, on those issues pertaining to, to oil and gas and renewables, also you know critical critical minerals, um, which is going to be hugely important um, as we uh, you know as, as as again we enter an age in which we're going to be lowering our emissions. You know, having the critical minerals that we'll need for batteries, that we'll need for electric vehicles. This is going to be extremely, extremely important. So, uh, you know, our joint strategies on that are, are critical. 
And you, you've played an important role, Minister, in the discussions on sustainability with the International Energy Agency. Are these functions and roles coming together in a way where there is a, a continuity of direction? Um, you, you, you put the importance of following the money. I'm just curious, um, as you're trying to take these messages to the international community and developing these strategies on sustainability, is there a cohesion? cohesion there that's 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 evolving where there's an understanding of the importance of both hydrocarbons and the need for reaching zero carbons. Um, I actually look upon the International Energy Agency and, and in, in frequent meetings I've had there as something of a support group. Uh, most energy ministers are, you know, find themselves in, in, in a very similar place. Um, you know, a reliance on hydrocarbons, if not a production, you know, a producer of hydrocarbons, but at the same time, you know, a collective understanding that something's got to be done, you know, that, uh, that, that climate change, uh, is, is a reality. And, uh, you know, and then we have to do something. I mean, almost all these countries have signed on to, to Paris and other accords. And, and so the, you know, the, Collectively, we understand we have to do something. So, you know, you, you're able to kind of swap ideas. What are you doing here and what are you doing there? We're able to highlight things. Um, I find it particularly useful our talks on, on uh, energy efficiencies and, you know, efficiencies in our buildings and our homes. And um, I think the IEA calls it the, the I can't remember if it's the fourth fuel or the fifth fuel, but, but for, the, you know, for the amount of uh, good that it will do, it will help the world achieve about a third of its global targets on, uh, for under the Paris Accord just finding efficiencies. Um, the importance of electrification. Um, you know, Canada not only is the fourth biggest producer of oil in the world, we're the second biggest producer of hydroelectricity. And electrification of, uh, you know, and, and a further building out of the grid. And, and you know, looking at, that on, looking at that on a North American scale too. Those are very important parts to play as we, uh, as we work, as our country works towards net zero. And I find, you know, other countries, as I said, I mean, if, if they're not producers of hydrocarbons, they're customers of hydrocarbons. So, you know, there's a, there's a, there's an understanding that if, if their national wealth, um, isn't reliant upon it, then, you know, it's, then their voter base is, uh, if not both. And, and so, you know, there, there is a, there's common cause there. Uh, I almost always find common cause. And, and I think what's also very important too is that we, we, we keep each other ambitious. And I think that that's important. Indeed, uh, the issue of ambition is key. And if, if one thinks about the European Union and the recovery strategy that's put together, a um, massive program of investment it's proposing in both digitalization and, um, and, and green energy and sustainable energy. As you look at Canada and the recovery strategy, is there a comparable emphasis or focus on the importance of, of what many have called building better, building sustainably. Yes, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, we look at uh, particular in the EU, particularly in Germany, there's a focus now on hydrogen. And I think that that's, that's only good for us too. I think that we have all the means necessary to, to lead on hydrogen ourselves. Um, you know, we're developing a roadmap for hydrogen this summer. We're working, our government's working very hard on that. We, you know, we, we've got everything there for blue hydrogen, for green hydrogen. This is going to be important for, for fuel cells. Uh, we're, you know, we're a huge producer of, of natural gas. Our value proposition here is very, very strong. And I think that the more, um, you know, the more the European Union looks at this, uh, you know, 
the better it is for us, both as, you know, perhaps future customer base, but also, you know, technologies as well uh, and technologies that we can either share or compete with one another on. Um, so I think hydrogen is very big. I think biofuels is very big. Um, we're, we're, as I said, very big on electrification and renewables. Um, you know, and, 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 and at home and residential and, and commercial efficiencies. We, we developed a, a, a plan, a, a generation energy plan, uh, a couple of years ago. And, uh, uh, by, by my predecessors who held uh, this portfolio, I'm not one of these politicians kind of feels the need to, when you get to do a portfolio, this, you know, you're going to start from scratch. Excellent work was done by all corners and we continue to build on that. I think now, you know, we have an opportunity, yeah, to build back better. I think, I think that, uh, you know, again, we're committed to net, to net zero by 2050. Um, you know, we know what we need to do. And therefore, I think, you know, that will definitely be how we look upon the investments that we make as we try to spur on our economy. So we know where you want to be in 2050. Um, and one year may seem extremely short term, but in the context of what's happening in the pandemic, yes. it may also seem like the long term. What do you want to be a year from now? Um, a year from now, I would very much like to make it. I mean, I, I look upon efficiencies again, as I said, commercial and residential efficiencies. I think, I think one of the reasons I find that so attractive is because it, it gets back to my point about making sure that people feel that they're a part of it. Um, you know, if you, if you look at, let's say curbside recycling, it perhaps isn't the most, if you look at the, in the grander scheme of things, that the most efficient means to, to contribute to the environment, but people, there's a tremendous uptick on, on curbside recycling because people feel it's something that they can do every day to contribute. And, and I feel the same way when I look at, you know, what we can do to, uh, to incent people to retrofit their homes or retrofit their commercial properties. If we can do that on a large scale, we'll go a long ways to, to cutting down on our emissions. I also think that, uh, in, in Canada, um, certainly none of, not, not people in my department, but, uh, and my officials, um, but, but I think Canadians generally take our hydroelectric bounty for granted. Um, you know, the fact is we, we have, there are very few democracies in the world, aside from ours and yours, that, that have the bounty of natural resources that we do. And um, there is a tremendous responsibility that comes from that. And when I'm on those international calls, uh, you know, I, I feel the weight of that responsibility because people understand that you, you know, you, you have all these resources. So what are you doing? And, you know, I would like to continue to be, first of all, to be seen as that leader and, and have having earned that spot. That, that our country has has earned that spot that we are making that in a year's time we can hold our heads high that uh, as we come out of COVID-19 we are making investments in the right place that will play out well for our children and our grandchildren. Minister, I think that's an eloquent place to maybe conclude the conversation. You've laid out the combination of bounty, responsibility, of of understanding the future that we leave for our children, the importance of being pragmatic, of following the money, of understanding what investors will will invest in and what they value for the future. And yet at the same time, the importance of starting from the bottom up with workers, with people and what they need to be able to leave a more secure and better life. A great set of visions and observations on how to be able to create an energy sector which is viable and sustainable. Minister Regan, thank you so much for joining us in these Zero Week Conversations. It was great to talk to you. Thank you very much. Thanks again for tuning in to another Zero Week Conversation. 
presented by IHS Market. For the complete video series and previous episodes, visit us online at sarahweek.com.